about <coughs> past time I was here. We talked about another hymn that we don't sing as much now, and uh, that was <coughs> Out of the Ivory Palaces <coughs> and Into a World of Woe. Only his great eternal love made my Savior go. And in one of the most of the stanzas, they say this. My Lord has garments so wondrously fine and mirror their texture fills. Its fragrance reaches to this heart of mine with joy my being fills. Uh, Psalm 45, verse 8. The hymn writer took out of the ivory palaces of that hymn from that particular psalm. It's a messianic psalm. And uh, speaking about different times in it, about the Mashiach or the Messiah. And so we were talking to you the last time we were here on the garments of Jesus. And sometimes you read about his raiment, and sometimes you read about his vesture, and sometimes you read about robes, and sometimes you read about his, his apparel. And so we try and, we're trying to follow that little theme on the garments of Christ with you. Last time we talked about the garment of his deity and we talked about that in Psalm 104. He's clothed with majesty and honor and uh, we talked about that, the garment of his deity. Before the uncalendared days of time itself, the Lord was clothed in light. And so you have his deity. And then we talked about the garments of his humanity, Luke chapter 2, verse 7 and verse 12, where it talks that he was in the manger and it says he had swaddling clothes. So now there's a different garment again, swaddling clothes. And we talked about that. And we talked about swaddling clothes when he was born in Bethlehem. And we talked about Bethlehem as a blending of sovereignty. It's a blending of simplicity. And it's a blending of mystery. Bethlehem is where God was manifested in the flesh. And so we talked about his humanity, the garment of his humanity. Then we talked about the garment of mercy. And we pointed you to Luke chapter 8. And there was four wonderful miracles there. And... The Lord did wonderful things in that chapter, and he's called the master in the chapter. And in the chapter, you'll see him. He's the master over the deep where he stills the waters, and there's a great calm. And then we talked about the demoniac and how he, he was a master over the demons, and he cast out the demons out of the demoniac. And then we read he was a master over death. Jairus' daughter was sick, 12 years old. She was lying, and as her father came to Jesus, Jairus, her father, came to seek his help because his daughter, his only daughter, was dying. And then news came from his home, from his servants, and says, don't trouble the master anymore. Your child's already dead. And Jesus went to the home. And anyhow, you know the story. He raised up the little girl. Master over death. And then he's the, he was the master over disease. And he healed the woman who touched, it says, the hem of his garment. We talked to you and we believed that that probably was his talit. One of the Jewish laws, 613 laws that were given to the Jewish people, one of them was to wear zitzit fringes on the corners of your garment. And we believe that 
He was wearing that garment because Jesus came not to take away the law, but to what? Fulfill it. So therefore, he had to fulfill the commandment. So he's filling the commandments of the law. And uh, anyhow, we believe, and many commentators write, he was wearing the Talit prayer shawl. And we showed you the garment last time we were here. We showed you the fringes and so forth. And we talked about the name of God on it and so forth and why they tie it around and so forth. So we talked about that. Today, I want to move our, <coughs> our thoughts to, if you have your Bible, we want to go to the garment of his majesty. Here's another garment uh, you see the Lord Jesus uh, in. And turn with me to Matthew 17. Please. You, you know well this account. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but notice chapter 17. After six days, Jesus takes, who does he take with him? Peter, James, and John. There's only three times in the Bible when he takes Peter, James, and John with him. And he leaves the rest of the disciples behind. The first time he takes them, he wants to, sh he wants to show them his greatness. And we, we looked at that in Luke chapter 8. Keep your finger, Matthew 17. Go to Luke chapter 8. And that's the one I just mentioned to you about the wee girl that was, was uh, dead. About the wee girl who was dead. Thank you, Matthew. <coughs> and then I want you to see it here. Look at, uh, look at verse 51. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go, go in, save Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the maiden. And so Jesus, the father and mother, and Peter, James, and John went in, and these disciples, Peter, James, and John, see the Lord's greatness, Ken. They see him raising a child from, the, from death. And so they were with him on that occasion. But not only were they with him and he showed them his greatness, if you go to Mark chapter 14, skip back to Mark 14, you <clears throat> find this. <clears throat> And just for time's sake, I'll come down the verses in verse 32. This is after, this is after the upper room. They just sang a hymn. You can see that in verse 26. And then he said, He must, uh, all ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And he's, he's going to fulfill Zechariah chapter 13, 7, it says the shepherd, and then it talks about the sheep being scattered. The sword will come out against the shepherd, and, and, uh, and the sheep will be scattered. Zechariah, he's just fulfilling scripture after scripture. <clears throat> and then it comes down to verse 31, but he spake the more vehemently, if I would die with thee, Peter says, I will not deny thee in any wise, and Peter talks about 
and not denying the Lord. And then came, then they came to a place, verse 32, which was Gethsemane. And he saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray. And he taketh him with him, Peter and James and John. And so they're going to be with him in his greatness. And they're going to be with him in his grief. Because here he's in the garden of Gethsemane. And it says in verse 34, And he saith unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. But he can't get away from the hour because that's the hour for which he was called. For this hour I am called, he says. For this reason came I into the world. Now the hour is coming upon him. The darkness is coming over him. He knows what's happening. Judas is going to betray him. Even a friend will betray me according to the scriptures again. Many of the scriptures are being fulfilled as he's going along in his journey. Now he's now in Gethsemane. And they're with him in his grief. And he's sweating great drops of blood. And he says in verse 36, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So Peter, James, and John is with him in his greatness, and Peter, James, and John is with him in his grief. And now in chapter 17 of Matthew, Peter, James, and John is with him in his glory. What a wonderful chapter this is. And here the Lord in chapter 17 now in Matthew, we'll go back again. <clears throat> You'll see him. Six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and notice this, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Moses may be representing the law, the prophet Elijah might be representing the prophets. And so you've got the law and the prophets testifying of him. And they're on the mountain with him here in Matthew chapter 17. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. For of thy wilt let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And not only do you have the law testifying him in Moses and the prophets testifying him in Elijah, now you have the Father testifying of him. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. Listen to what he has to say. And my dear friend, it's a wonderful thing to sit down and think of what Jesus said and all the words that he used. There's none like him when he speaks. I am the way. Not a way. The way. I am the truth. I am the life. God says he spake in sundry times unto the fathers by the prophets, but hath in these last days spoken un unto us through his Son. And he's saying now, hear him. Is God's last word to you. Hear him. And so we need to take into consideration the words that Jesus said to many people. I'm the resurrection and the life. And then he talks about I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And listen to all the wonderful 
sayings of our Lord. Hear ye him. Matthew 17, verse 2 says, And was, he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white like the light. Turn to Second Peter chapter 1. And don't, let me remind you, he was one of the disciples that was with the Lord on the mountain. Second Peter 1, verse 16 for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the what? The power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his what? Majesty. Now he's clothed in a garment of white, and he's clothed in the garment of majesty. And the disciples are there, and they get to see it. Listen, John, you're going to get to see it. And I'm going to get to see it. Pity, pity about the microphone there, but anyhow. <laughs> and you're going to get to see it, Sergi. And even Ime. They saw it. He's given them a preview of his second coming. That's what he's doing. And he's encouraging their hearts because he's telling them he has to be taken away and be crucified. But it's not the end of Jesus. Amen? And Peter says, we saw his majesty. He says, we were eyewitnesses of it. And then he goes on to say this, for verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory. And here we have the garment of his glory. A garment of his majesty. And then when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him on the holy mount. We start at Matthew 17. It's a high mount. Now he calls it a holy mount. And that's the Mount of Transfiguration that Peter's talking about in 2 Peter 1. And he saw his majesty and what it would be like when he comes in power and great glory. So the Lord is giving them a preview of that. And then Peter, uh, we must give him credit because he's mentioning tabernacles here. Because this is the last of the Feast of the Jehovah festivals from Luke chapter, uh, Leviticus chapter 23, verses 33 to 36, and verses uh, 40 to 43. And we're talking about, in that whole text, about the seven festivals of the Lord. The end festival, the seventh one, is the Feast of Tabernacles. That's what Peter's referring to. He's a Jew. He knows about tabernacles. But you can't put Jesus on the same realm as Moses and Elijah. He stands prominent and he stands preeminent. That's what you pray. Amen? He's above all. He's above all. And so here you have him here on this mount. Now Peter, most give him credit, and here in this Leviticus chapter 23, it speaks of the prophetical 
ingathering of Israel, his people, in the last days, at his return in glory, and thus associating the tabernacles with the kingdom age of the future. And so Jesus gives them that wonderful preview. The first three festivals, Passover and unleavened bread and first fruits, speaks of our Lord's first coming. And then you have an interval of 50 days from the first fruit all the way through to Pentecost. And that's when the church was established at Pentecost. And even today, the Jewish people still count those days in the synagogue. I hear them counting the days to Pentecost. They call it the counting of the Omer, the sheaf, the wave sheaf. And so they count the Omer and they count 50 days. And that's when the church was established. After the death of our Lord, the first fruits, and then he rose again, and then he told him to wait in Jerusalem and you shall receive power. Acts chapter 2 that David was talking about this morning. During that time, Israel has rejected the Messiah. And now Jesus says, I will build my church. And so Pentecost comes in. And the church is being formed today. That's where we are now in the prophetical calendar. He's building his church among the Gentiles, calling out a people to be part of his body and to be part of the head of himself who's, and the rest of us are the members of that body. He's building his church. But he's not finished with Israel. It's temporary. He set them aside, as it were, on the playing field, and he set them on the bench for a little while, but he's going to take them off a bench again. And when is he going to do it? The last three festivals all are related to the Lord's second coming and also the millennial kingdom, the tabernacles. When all the nations of the earth will come up to Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles, it says in Zechariah chapter 14. And so Peter Might have been out of place a little bit, but he had that also in view because the Lord is revealing to him the power and the coming of his glory, which is associated with the tabernacle. So he's not too far off. Mark 9, verse 3 says, And his raiment became shining exceedingly white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. The word fuller is an Anglo-Saxon word, and it means to whiten. And so the fuller would stamp the clothes with his feet for seven or eight hours. And then he would wash the clothing with soap, and he would get it as white as your T-shirt is. I'm not talking about the outside one, the inside one there, the white one. but that's not white enough. They can, they can do all they want with the garment and try to make it white, as white as they can make it, but that's not good enough. Notice what he said here. <clears throat> Shining exceedingly white as snow. So as no fuller on earth can whiten them. 
my dear friend, he's now in his majesty. What a wonderful time that's going to be for planet Earth when he'll come in his power and his glory to the earth at his second coming. I'm not talking about the rapture, I'm talking about the second coming. I don't know what mountain it was, do you? It may have been Mount Tabor, where they say today it's the Transfiguration Mountain, and that's a 1,886 feet high. But Jesus was in the area of Caesarea Philippi when he spoke these words, so he was more near Mount Hermon, and Mount Hermon is the highest place in Israel, 9,230 feet above Selah. So it might have been that high mountain. We don't know. But it was a high mountain. And I'll tell you, that day, it was a holy mountain. Jesus was there in his majesty. So let's move on to another garment. Turn to John chapter 19, please. And for your own study, you could go to John 13, and there you'll find him putting another garment on, the garment of a servant, the garment of humility. And he washes his disciples' feet. And he says, I've set an example before you. And we ought to not sit down with people and wash their feet today, no, but that we might esteem others better than ourselves and take the place of humility, serving one another. Amen? That's what he's taught us to do. We need to practice that, by the way, guys. We need to serve each other, help each other, be with each other. When somebody's in need, get around them and help them. When somebody's going through a financial difficulty, try to help them if you can. Send them a little cord of encouragement. Amen. Go to the hospital and visit them. Put an arm around somebody and say to them, how are you doing today, honey? I'll do it in a say too. How are you doing today, honey? When my son-in-law was sick, I thank God for people who came alongside. They asked about Michael, but do you know what they did? They said, John, how are you doing? Because we go through it with them. And people brought food, and people bought this, and amazing. <coughs> Servant's heart, that's what he wants us to be serve each other. That's for you today. That's the message for you. Now put it into practice. Put it into shoe leather. Let's do it. Amen? Amen. Do what Nike says. Just do it. <laughs> That's all you need to do. Happy is the man who obeys my that's what will make you happy. Serving the Lord. Serving one another. Can I go up here again? 
I don't know if we can make it or not, but I'll try. <clears throat> John 19. Now the R is upon him. Seven times in the book of John he talks about the R. The R. He said to them, my R is not yet. My R is not yet. And he keeps talking about it. And now he's going to say the R has come. Now is the time. The very purpose for which I was sent. <clears throat> so here we have him before Pilate now. And notice what it says in John 19. <clears throat> verse 14. He was in... He was in Gethsemane. Now he's moving up now before Pilate. Now he's in Gabbatha, the pavement. And then he would go to Golgotha. You see the words? And then he'll go to the, the grave. And then he'll go back to the glory. He has a journey. And he's following it to the very letter. Because of the purpose for which he came. And now in verse 14, and it was the preparation of the Passover about the sixth hour, and he said unto the Jews, Behold your what? Your king. John 19, 14. Now turn to Matthew chapter 27. I mustn't get up and down those steps. I'm out of breath already <clears throat> because I got a problem going on in my lungs and I hope you'll pray for me. I've got an x-ray coming up again. And also a breathing test for scarring in the lungs. So pray for that. Matthew 27, 28. Now watch what it says here now. Verse 28. And they stripped him and put on him a what? Now we got another garment. I call this here the garment of mockery. That's what it is. And you read it, and they put it upon his head, and they put it upon his head, and a reed in his right hand. Sorry, verse 29. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and in his right hand they bowed the knee before him, and what? And mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. It's the garment of mockery. And then he goes on to say, and they spit upon him, and they took the reed, and they smote him on the head. And after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him, and put on his own raiment on him, and led him away to crucify him. And he's got different garments going on now. <clears throat> and they mocked him in mock royalty. Verse 41, so, sorry, verse 33. And when they were come to the place called Golgotha, so we've been in Gethsemane, and we've been in Gabbatha, and now we're at here, Golgotha. And it says this, that is to say a place of a skull. He's at Calvary now. And they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and when it tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and what? Parted his 
garments casting lots that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet they parted my garment among them and upon my vesture did they cast lots Psalm 22 verse 18 fulfilling scripture again in verse 36 and sitting down they watched him there and sat up over his head his accusation written this is Jesus the king of the Jews. Verse 41. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and the elders. He said, they said he saved others himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. And here he is in mock royalty. Friends listen kings have crowns they have a diadem, but to him they gave a crown of thorns. Kings have scepters, uh, silver and jewels on them, beautifully or, ornate, wonderful handiwork, donating their power and donating their authority. But to him, they just give him a reed. Kings of thrones, but instead of giving him a throne, they give him a cross. Kings are bowed to, and, and they bowed the knee, it says, and they hailed him king of the Jews, and they're mocking him in mock royalty. And the hymn writer says, there was no crown for him of silver or of gold. There was no diadem for him to own, but blood adorned his brow, and bloody stains he bore, and sinners give to him the crown he wore. And here he is in the garments of mockery. You see him? Standing in your place, in my place. And then, if you go on, Charles Wesley, I'm just putting this in because I think this is, this is, this is precious. I never saw this till the other night. And I'm quick to write things down and I just wrote these down. Charles Wesley wrote a hymn. He's a tremendous writer of hymns, David. He wrote, Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fear. The bleeding sacrifice. Right? What does it go like? On my behalf appears. Before the throne my surety stands. Before the throne my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. But here's another stanza that we don't read and, we, and, we, and we, we probably don't think about it. Let me show you what I got. Notice what he says here. Five bleeding wounds he bears. Received on Calvary, they pour effectual prayers. They strongly speak for me. Forgive, oh forgive, they cry, nor let that ransom sinner die. And of course, Wesley's bringing in the statement from the prophet Isaiah, he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And I have been told that our Lord Jesus Christ, all the five kinds of wounds known to, to uh, medical science, the Lord Jesus fulfilled them at the cross. I wonder if Charles Wesley thought about it when he was writing. 
Let me mention them to you this morning. This is all to do with the mockery. Number one, <clears throat> there's contusion. There's the contusion wound where the Lord suffered this wound when he was hit on the head with the reed and he was punched in the face and they just wanged down the crown of thorns upon his head. Try it. I was in Israel. We wound a crown of thorns called Spina Christi. They're about that length there. And then we wound them around into a crown and we put them on one of our people's head and we just touched them down and you nearly cried. Can you imagine them beating them down on your head? Confusion. And that's what happened here in the book of Mark 15, 19, Matthew 26, 27. He suffered that wound on his head. Then there's laceration. This is the scourge that was used that would produce this kind of a wound. It left, it left the individuals back like a plowed field. He gave my back to the smiters. It was a vicious instrument, like a cat of nine tails, only its thongs were tipped with metal or bone to inflict the greatest suffering. And as the flogging continued, the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. Pain and blood loss generally set the stage for circulatory shock. The extent of blood loss may well have determined how long the victim would survive on the cross, and after the scourging, the soldiers then often taunted their victim. The severity of the scourging depended on the disposition of the lictors. The lictors were the ones who inflicted the punishment. It depended on their disposition. <clears throat> all of that was intended to weaken the victim to a state just short of collapse or death. Now, how would you like to get through that? Jesus even predicted his death and the brutal scourging he would undergo in Matthew 20, 19, Matthew 27, 26, and John chapter 19. 1. He knew he was going to have to go through it. Laceration. Thirdly, penetration. The crown of thorns would produce the wounds. They were long thorns just like spikes being forced down upon the head and further pressed home by the blows of the reed. We talked about that earlier. Perforation. And that's the nails. Perforated, piercing through his hands and feet. The word for pierced here is the Hebrew word ari. And that's one word for pierced. And then you have incision, the fifth one. And the spear cutting into the side made an incision. And the blood and the water which flowed from the wound were of course medical evidence that Jesus was truly dead. Fulfilling in John chapter 18, 34 to 37, fulfilling Zechariah 12, 10, and it talked about him being pierced in the side. The Hebrew word is dakar, different word for pierced. So he has to fulfill the word ari, and he has to fulfill the word dakar, both piercings. 
the thieves under, went through the RE piercing their hands and feet, but they didn't have the side pierced. The thieves had their legs broken, but when they came to Jesus, he was already dead, so they didn't have to break his legs, and they couldn't break his legs anyway, because it says not a bone of him would be broken. Because he's the picture of the lamb in Exodus chapter 12, the Pesach lamb, the, the lamb that was offered in the Exodus in the homes. It had to be without spot and without blemish, and not a bone of it was to be broken. So not a bone of him was to be broken. My friend, this is amazing fulfillment of prophecy in one man alone. It's phenomenal. Twelve o'clock, that's a good timing, isn't it? You ready for lunch? Forget it. <laughs> Charles Wesley, I think, David, got it right. Five bleeding wounds he bore. Five bleeding wounds. Now listen, all of that is over. All of that is in the past. Here's the good news. Man will never lay hands on him again. Hallelujah. What a savior. Amen. And you know what? He will exchange the garments of mockery for the garments of victory at his second coming. Now I'm going to close with two passages and my time is gone. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 63. Please. <clears throat> Isaiah 63. Now look at these powerful verses, folks. Tremendous verses. This is the first passage, Isaiah chapter 63, verses 1 to 3. And then I want to go to Revelations chapter 19, and verse 11 to 21. I want to take my time reading these for you. <clears throat> so Isaiah 63, 1 to 3. Who is this that cometh from... Watch the words, please. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments? See the garments again? With dyed garments from Brazra, this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thy red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. Wonder when that's going to take place. That's going to take place at the power and glory of our Lord Jesus when he comes the second time. And you find many churches read this passage during the Passion Week, but that is the most unlikely scriptural portion to read at Easter. It would be better if they read Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 on that occasion, but not Isaiah 63. Why? 
Well, the prophet in Isaiah 63 is looking forward to the future, not the past. He's looking to the time of the tribulation. He's looking to the time for the Antichrist. He's looking to the time of the enemies of the Lord. He's looking to the time of the last rebellion. He's looking to the time of the second coming of the Lord Jesus. That is not a picture of what our Lord accomplished in his first coming. It's the picture of what he will accomplish in his second coming. They'll have those garments on and they will be stained not with his own blood, but with the blood of his enemies. That's not very pleasant, I know, but that's what's going to happen. Turn to Revelations chapter 19. And I have to finish because my time is gone. I wish I had another half an hour. And don't say take it because I will. (laughs) Revelation 19 verse 11. And I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he did judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine and white and clean. Fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth It says, the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. Not what Pilate says, behold your king. But this time it's behold the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's when he's coming back there. This is the glimpse that Peter, James, and John got. Powerful. My friend, he's going to deal with the nations. He's going to deal with Israel. He's going to deal with Satan. And he's going to deal with the curse that was brought upon the earth. And he's going to bring it back because he's the heir of the land. He's the heir of the world. He's taken all back what Adam lost. Hallelujah. What a savior. That will be the crowning day. Amen. First time in Advent he came to die, and the second Advent he's coming to be the undertaker for the nations. First time in his Advent he stained with blood in both of these Advents, and this time he'd be stained with the blood of the nations. Then he will exercise his final destruction on the Gentile powers that be. This is not the rapture, this is the second coming. And so these verses portray a graphic symbolism of the awfulness of the destruction of the enemies of David's greater son, the Messiah, the heir to the throne, the heir to the land, and the heir to the world. And one of these days, 
one of these days, he's going to open the seals and claim was rightfully his prior to the setting up of his millennial kingdom. We have yet to see those days coming, amen? Not a word of his will be broken. Not one word. The garments of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the garments of his victory. Hallelujah. What a day that will be. Shall we pray? Will you pray for us, uh, Clyde, in closing?